From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it. Make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. Fight. Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. We are in the midst of competition season, and we have lots of voices of local competitors for you today. We always want to bring you the stories of jiu-jitsu in the Carolinas and beyond, and today we're about evenly split between the Carolinas and beyond. So we usually have one long interview as our feature, but today we're going to do a series of shorter interviews, many of them with people you haven't heard before on the podcast and one with a popular recurring guest. A lot of these interviews center around one simple fact, U.S. Grappling Sub Only Raleigh was yesterday. And believe me, some amazing stories came out of the vet, of that event, uh, some incredible matches, met some new people, saw some great old, old friends, and just another tremendous event from U.S. Grappling. In addition to that, though, Lourdes Cantu, our rock star co-host, also recently went on a jiu road trip all up and down the East Coast. She managed to swing some quick interviews with a few luminaries, including Dennis Ash, who is the founder of the Connection Rio BJJ Hostel, which spearheaded American Jiu-Jitsu travel to Brazil, with Matt from Polaris Professional Jiu-Jitsu, which is the competition organization putting on some of the best super fights going today, and with Juni Ocasio, who is an elite purple belt competitor out of Unity Jiu-Jitsu that you've heard from before on the program. You'll hear from all those folks either on this show or on upcoming shows. But we also have a recurring guest back in the studio today, my good friend, Pedro Sauer Black Belt, David Porter. Dave is gonna is down for uh, an event that I'm going to tell you about, but he also competed at U.S. Grappling yesterday. And so we're going to talk about Dave's residency at Elevate MMA this week, where you can come and train with him if you get the opportunity. We're going to talk about sub-only Raleigh, his experience as a competitor there. And, of course, we're going to talk about the most important issue in jiu-jitsu. We're going to talk about Pokemon Go Fest in Chicago. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Pleasure being here. We're going to hear from Dave uh, about 30 minutes into the show with an extended interview with him. But before that, we want to alert you to a couple of upcoming events, one of which I've already alluded to. This entire week, Dave Porter, black belt owner Pedro Sauer, high-level competitor, someone we've had on the show, this is his fourth time, is doing a residency at Elevate MMA Academy this week. So what does that mean? That means if you want to drop in, you get to learn from not one, but two awesome black belts. You can also, if you're listening to the show live today, head over to Elevate for Dave's seminar, which is no gi. We're going to be training right after the show and if you're listening to the show live you should come join us also if you happen to take my 6 30 a.m class at triangle jiu-jitsu this week we might get a special surprise guest in some of those classes as well the other news item I want to get to before we dive right into U.S. Grappling. Next weekend, I'm driving up north for a, a very special event. It's a seminar with Ricardo De La Hiva. That's August 5th at 10 a.m. at Vicente Junior's School BJJ Conquest in Maryland. There are still spaces available if you want to come, and I would urge you not to miss the chance to train with a legend. I'm going to drive about 10 hours round trip to train with Ricardo De La Hiva, somebody who's been on my dream to train list for a long time, and uh, I, I would urge you, if you have the opportunity, to come and train with him as well. 
So those are the upcoming events that, that I know about. If I missed anything, do feel free to let us know at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can also get at us on Instagram at Dirty White Belt or on Twitter at DWB Radio. Our Facebook page is Cageside Radio, and I'll be mentioning this throughout the show. But we were fortunate enough to live stream the vast majority, maybe all, of the Black Belt matches yesterday. So if you go to Facebook.com slash Cageside Radio and click on the Videos tab, you'll be able to see Black Belt matches, including uh, guys like Dave Porter, guys like Cody Malte, guys like Daniel Frank, C.J. Murdoch, Josh Murdoch, uh, a bunch of tremendous matches uh, yesterday. And so that's all on our Facebook page uh, on our videos tab. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jeff Shaw. As it turns out, we're getting married. I think it's time we share a secret with the world. When you get married, often you want a wedding photographer. And I'm wondering, what do you look for in a wedding photographer? I am so glad you asked this question because I have spent a lot of time looking at photography of all sorts. So as you may know, I uh, have been making my living as a journalist for low these 20 years, and so I've spent a lot of time looking at good photography, bad photography, and occasionally great photography. So for our wedding, I am thrilled that we're going to be going with Meg and Alan Chester's company, CAM Photo and Design. You guys may know them because they shoot a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments. We always see them at U.S. Grappling. And they caught my attention because of two things. One is they do a phenomenal job of capturing events in the moment, the kind of photojournalism that I look for that I think really expresses um, the spirit of an event and that's what we wanted for our wedding. The other reason um, that I'm really excited that they are going to be shooting for us is that I don't know if you've ever looked at their photos of spectators but they do an amazing job of capturing emotion and um, for our wedding I want to make sure that we are catching the real emotion of the day. Um, it's just a nice side benefit that they're a phenomenal jujitsu supporting brand. And a lot of jiu-jitsu weddings involve jiu-jitsu, so you want people that understand the things that you love. So that's CAM Photos and Design. You can find them on Facebook. They train, and they know how to shoot great photos. Take it from the journalist with 20 years of experience and your favorite random purple belt. One of my favorite things about tournaments is meeting new people, because a lot of those new people have great stories. The main reason we do the po podcast is to find the best untold stories from the jiu-jitsu community here in North Carolina and beyond. So one of the things you always hear about, about uh, true submission-only events that U.S. Grappling runs, are the long matches, because people gravitate to extremes. And U.S. Grappling is the only tournament organization that runs true submission-only, two guys step on a mat, one of them taps, events. The average match, I should mention, only goes about eight minutes, but we all like to hear about those epic long-term struggles. So today I found myself watching participants in a nearly hour-long match, and I wanted to talk to both of them to figure out what their experience was like. I wound up talking to Eric DeVere, who not only took gold medals and participated in one of the longest matches of the day, but as I discovered talking to him, he actually lost 110 pounds training jiu-jitsu. I was really interested in that, and I hope that you are as well. So tell me your name and where you train. Eric DeVere, I'm out of Boondocks MMA up in Boone. We started from the App State Jiu-Jitsu Club, so we're still pretty new. Yeah. And who's the instructor there? Uh, his name is Spencer Reeves. He's Purple Belt. Um, we're affiliated under Jeff Cope from Winston. He trains at uh, Ground Control BJJ. He owns Ground Control. Yeah. yeah. 
So you had one of the three longest matches so far today. And, uh, I mean, you know, that was almost an hour long, and you'd never had a match that long before, had you? Not even close. So it's definitely it was a new experience. My, my whole thing was if, if I kept moving, kept attacking, maybe the other guy would, would uh, give up. <laughs> not, not so much give up, but get a little bit uh, intimidated by the energy. And that didn't happen. Everybody I fought, e even the bigger guys, were they had a lot in the tank. They kept moving as well, so it was awesome. Yeah, one of the things about that really long match, you know, sometimes if you see something go for like an hour, guys get tired, guys stop moving, but you guys continually kept attacking, and that's one of the things that I thought was really impressive. Do you do anything special for cardio? Yeah, I, I run a lot. I, I try to mix it up. That's, you know, when at our gym we like to roll, so, I, you know, I've, I've had 20, 30, 45-minute rolls before in practice, but, you know, it's, it's a slower pace, and I, I know the game, uh, who, who I'm going up against. But a lot of running, a lot of yoga, lifting, just anything that I can high intensity get into. Yeah, I, you know, I'm one of these guys who's I've lost like 110 pounds over the past few years. So cardio and keeping with it is super important to me. <laughs> yeah. So you've lost 110 pounds. How long have you been doing jujitsu? Just uh, three years, two months, and in the same amount of time, that's when I've been losing weight. If it wasn't for jujitsu, I would have gained the weight back because I started I started to compete. Like I started jujitsu so that I could compete, and then you know I did a few. My first two tournaments just lost all four matches. I was in heavyweight, 200 pounds, and realized there's no way I'm going to compete with that much fat on me. It just with these guys that are the same weight and all muscle, it wasn't happening. And I really wanted to compete, and I don't want to come out here and lose. So, yeah. Well, that's a great story, and like one of the things that you know folks that are listening to this may need to know. In addition to your hour-long match, you had a, several other matches that weren't exactly short matches. So can you run through those for us? Yeah, the, um, which was also interesting because I've you know I've done sub only, love sub only, and usually I can finish a little quicker. But um, first guy I went up against, you know, all of them really kept kept tight. I couldn't couldn't attack as much as I wanted to. I kept moving. I kept on top. Was going for a lot of arm bars today. That's what I think I ended up with four arm bars and a rear naked, but, which is weird because I don't normally finish those. But yeah, everybody was really keeping tight. I stayed on top, tried to put a lot of pressure on everybody so that maybe they would start to feel feel the weight of it and uh, I could gas them out. But no, I, like everybody was impressively, they had impressive cardio. Yeah. And so you end up getting double gold today. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations. Thank you. Are you doing the gi as well? No, no gi. I'm going home after this one. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? I mean, there's another two hours of rolls out there true. for you. Yeah, it's, I, I, we generally uh, do a lot more no gi at, at Boondocks. Um, we, I, I probably train in the gi about three times a month. And I, I love the gi. It's definitely something I need to get more into. But just with the hectic schedule, I, I try to try to hone in on something, really sink my teeth into no-gi, and I, I love it. So, you know, that definitely played a huge part. I had a few triangles, close triangles, and uh, they were, uh, it was a little, I, I didn't quite have the technique down. I could have locked it up a little tighter, and uh, Victor was very slippery. We both had a lot of sweat on us, yeah. It was definitely a, sw a sweaty mat. So, like, um, as somebody that has made a lot of lifestyle changes, lost 110 pounds. If there's somebody out there that's starting their jiu-jitsu journey and maybe they want to get more fit, maybe they want to get healthier, what advice would you have for those guys? Definitely. You hear this all the time, and I wish I would have listened to it because I would have started jiu-jitsu 10 years ago. Don't wait. You don't, need, you don't need to lose the weight first. You need to get into do whatever you love. Just go for it. it you know, let, let the cards fall in place afterwards. Once you start making the changes, the momentum picks up. So don't worry about if you're too big to do X, Y, and Z. Learn what your body can take. Push it, 
And then as you, had, that was one of the coolest things for me is like I, I was a big guy, I didn't want to use my weight because I wanted my technique to be good once I lost the weight. So, but it was really interesting once I would lose 20 pounds, another 20 pounds, I was like, I'm moving faster, I'm moving quicker, my flexibility is better. So, but really the best advice is just to go out there and just start. It doesn't matter, it, it, nothing matters. Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu is for everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations on an outstanding performance. Thank you so much. Everybody. So that's Eric DeVere, double gold winner and due to his transformed his life using jiu-jitsu and guy who endured an hour-long match in addition to several other matches. I also wanted to talk to Eric's opponent during that match because, you know, an epic experience like that takes two. And his opponent, Victor Gonzalez, had a terrific attitude about it as well. So you just had what is currently the longest match at U.S. Grappling, more than an hour. Uh, more than, so you've had the longest match of the day. How, how do you feel? Uh, I feel good. Uh, a little tired, but um, I didn't know it was that long. I knew it was long, but... I feel great. What's your name and where do you train? Uh, my name is Victor Gonzalez and I train with the uh, Katai Academy with my coach uh, Jason Cockrell. Yeah, he's actually right here. Oh, right on. Yeah. So when you, when you went out there, did you have any idea the match was going to be as long as it was? No, I didn't. I was hoping it was going to be a little quicker. <laughs> How come your cardio is so good? It didn't look like you got tired. Uh, I do a lot of training and conditioning, um, so uh, my coach also helps me out, so it's a, it's a big help. You know, sometimes you see matches like that that go on for an hour and there's the action is slow, but like, it seemed like you guys were still going after it, even in the last, in the last five minutes of that match. Yes, uh, my competitor was really good, too. Uh, his condition was great, so um, I was a little tired, but I was hoping he'd be more tired. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had a match that long before? No, never. Uh, this is my first time. And you have two more matches after this, right? I got two divisions to go. This was my last division, uh, or my second division. Are you going to drop out or are you going to keep doing all of them? No, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Well, best of luck. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Eric and Victor didn't wind up being the longest match of the day. That turned out to be Chelsea Kurtzman from Great Grappling and Louise Hiller from Elevate MMA, and their match clocked in at one hour and six minutes. So congratulations go around to all involved. Submission only is a challenging rule set, but sometimes challenging yourself involves changing up the mode of competition. That is, if you really love competing in the gi, sometimes it's important to do no gi as well. Jordan Wise from TFTC is an active blue belt competitor that we haven't had on the show yet, and we talked to her after her no-gi matches while she was running a table. Jordan Wise, what's your favorite part of submission-only jiu-jitsu? That it can go so long. We saw an hour and 15-minute long match with Chelsea and Kurtzman earlier. It was pretty awesome. What's the longest match you've been in at sub-only tournaments? About 18 minutes. Are you competing today? I competed in no-gi earlier today. Are you doing the gi too? I'm not. I'm working instead. How'd your nogi matches go? I know how much you love nogi. Um, I've made myself do nogi. I forced it on me, but um, they went pretty well. I got gold in my weight class and bronze in uh, the absolute, so pretty good. What was your favorite match of the day and why? Um, I really liked my first match um, in my weight class. I finished from a arm bar from a triangle um, in guard, and I've been trying to attack a lot more from guard, so it was a pretty good win for me. When you compete in tournaments, what percentage of it is trying to get better and making yourself do things like nogi that you're not as comfortable with, and how much of it is just you you just want to win? So I kind of approach different tournaments different ways. Um, this one, since I don't do a lot of nogi, I kind of approach it as a learning situation, and I wanted to make sure that I'm kind of seeing what I need to work on and practicing some new stuff. Um, but if there are other tournaments when I'm really in kind of training mode and it's more about what I can do to win the match rather than what I can kind of practice that day. 
What is more perfect, Brad Acosta's hair or Brad Acosta's teaching abilities? Um, I mean, his hair is really, really awesome, but he's also a really great teacher, so it's neck and neck, I would say, teaching, but the hair is pretty close. If he shaved his head, would you still come to class? Uh, I mean, probably. We just have to come to make fun of him, so. That's the spirit. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu gis or Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. One of the regular black belt competitors at U.S. Grappling and also a veteran of Toro Cup is Nicholas Walters. Nick has a no-gi super fight against Marcelo Garcia black belt Mancher Cara in the next few weeks, and we wanted to talk to him both about his preparation for that, his matches on Saturday, his jiu-jitsu school, and coming up training with Jerry Moreno and Moreno BJJ. So we took a few minutes to talk with Nick Walters. I'm uh, Nicholas Walters. I have a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school out of Moorhead City, North Carolina, uh, Walters Jiu-Jitsu. So... Um, black belt, uh, or I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 11 years, uh, black belt under Luis Palaris. Um, I've been, I'm a first degree black belt. And so I understand you have a super fight coming up and I want to make sure we talk about that. But one of the things I want to talk to you especially, specifically about is, I understand you came up training with Jerry Moreno. Yes. And so there were a lot of tough guys in that room that are still competing today, many of whom are also black belts, including the Murdoch brothers, uh, Matt Messer, who is a brown belt. What do you remember about those days coming up training with Jerry? Uh, it was great times. Uh, it was a really, really hard training. Lots of grinding, um, but yeah, a lot of tough guys. We had a couple guys uh, like uh, Lockhart. Uh, we helped um, one of the UFC fighters, uh, Brian Stan, as well when he was getting ready for uh, the WEC and things like that. So yeah, it's so many tough dudes. There were a lot of people coming from Jacksonville. So yeah. It's sort of interesting now, like a lot of those guys either have their own schools like yourself or they're still actively competing, you know, and doing super fights. And so what, what, what are some of your fondest memories of some of that particular group of guys? Uh, we did a lot of, um, we, just a lot of training. We did just, it was like a good family, you know what I'm saying? It was just a good family orientation. And uh, whenever we trained, we just trained hard. And uh, everybody was willing to help, especially when people had MMA fights and things like that. Is it weird to be competing against those guys now, or, or is it just kind of a, a logical extension of training hard with them? It's just a logical extension of training hard with them. Um, sometimes it does feel a little weird, but since we haven't trained in so long, um, everybody's games has been different. So, you know, it's, it's always nice to, you know, try to roll with them and keep in touch and, then, you know, try to work Williams different. And Tyler Laconi. Try to work different. Uh, see them and try to cross train as well. So I'm trying to get trying to get a bunch of the guys from Goldsboro. I mean, not Goldsboro from Trevor New Bern and us to try to collaborate. You know, over the weekends, things like that. So. So I want to talk about your school as well and your transition from training and competing to primarily teaching. But I know you have a super fight coming up, and so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. When is it? Where is it? And who's it against? Um, it is August 11th in Maryland in. Um, 
I think it's Bowie, Maryland. Um, it's going against, it's against uh, Manser. Um, black belt under Marcelo Garcia. I'm excited. It's no gi, ADCC rules, so 20 minutes. Um, I do work a full-time job, so it's kind of hard to get the, the good training that I need to, but I got a bunch of great students with me. So I, you know, I do a lot of shark tanks, things like that, just to get myself prepared. So I, I'm guessing you and Mansur have never competed against each other. No, we have not. And do you consider yourself primarily a gi grappler or a no gi grappler? Or it, like, I'm, I'm just wondering, is this, is a no gi super fight something that is common for you or is it something that's a little bit different? Um, I've trained, when I was with Jerry, uh, I trained six years with no gi. Um, I just, I like the gi um, personally, but no gi works as well. So I'm not, I'm not afraid to do yeah. both. So, but I feel yeah, like I, my school is primarily it's gi, but we do one week gi, I mean, one week no gi, and then the rest is gi. So you mentioned you have a, you have a full-time job as well as running a jiu-jitsu school. How do you balance the time in terms of training the way that you do for, for a super fight of this nature? So um, I work, I make sure that all my, uh, my stuff and duties are done at work and I train about a, an hour and a half during lunch when I can and then um, I train at night as well. So uh, there's times where I do morning classes, so Tuesday, Thursday, um, I run a good uh, session with that. So I'm doing good morning sessions Tuesday, Thursday and then trying to train as much as I can during lunch and then the evening classes as well. So what's the belt breakdown of your students right now? I'm, I'm curious because I know my, my instructor is also a black belt, the only black belt at our school. And so when he's training hard for a competition, sometimes he'll seek out other black belts to train with, but he'll also you know, use us lower belts as well. So what's the belt breakdown like? How do you use that uh, in your training? Um, I have one brown belt who's my assistant instructor. Um, then I have two purple belts, and then I have about four blue belts, and then the rest white belts. So what I do is I usually do like uh, 10 to 20 minute rounds, and a new person every two minutes. So it really doesn't matter when you're pretty much gassed going against a blue belt or a white belt or a purple belt. So I just try to work bad positions. So if I'm ever stuck in a bad position, I'm not uncomfortable in there. So especially, you know, my white belts, they, they try to slay me and they try to kill me. So, you know, I feel like that's payback when I get them, you know, when we do, you know, eight minute rounds or something like that. So they just, when they're shark tanking me, they go 100% on me. So. I feel like that's a you know good, a good training aspect for me, to get my cardio up. So you're about two weeks out from the super fight, and you've just had several hard rounds against some excellent black belts. How are you feeling? Are you do you feel prepared? Um, there's some holes that I feel that I've uh, that I need to work on, but um, as of right now, I feel like I'm where I need to be. Um, there's a couple steps. I'm gonna work with David Porter. I think next week, uh, me and him are gonna try to try to figure something out and um, go from there so he can help me um, with my game and, and we can work some strategy and things like that. Do you have a game plan for Mansoor or is it the kind of you want to try and impose your game and not react to what he does? I just want to impose my game. I don't want to play anybody else's game. If I play someone else's game, I feel like I get caught. Um, so if I impose my game and my will, um, I feel like I'll be the, the more aggressor and, and, uh, and go from there. Do you consider yourself primarily a top guy, a bottom guy, or a well-rounded, wherever-the-fight-goes jiu-jitsu guy? Um, I play a good half-guard game, and uh, my top game's really pressure-oriented, so I like both. So Most of the time, I like to play a little bit bottom, um, just because when I was wrestler, um, I would always play top, and uh, Jerry told me to work bottom game. So um, from there, I just started you know, trying to transition work my guard a lot better. You know. 
So when you visualize how this super fight goes, if it could, in, in your perfect world, how does the match go? Uh, match goes would be a, a nice single leg takedown uh, to pass and then uh, just kind of grind it out and then go from there. Um, if I do get taken out, um, if I get taken down, because I know that he's a really good wrestler, so um, I'll impose my, my half guard and then go from there. I got, a, I got a nice good half guard sweeps and submissions from, from, that, from that position. So, Are there any questions that I didn't ask that you really wish I would have asked or anything that you'd like folks to know about you or your school? Yeah, if you guys are ever in the area of the Moorhead City, uh, you guys are more than welcome to come in. It's uh, 5370 uh, Unit J in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Well, best of luck, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, thank you. If you want to see video of the Black Belt Division from U.S. Grappling this weekend, where Nicholas Walters competed, you can go to facebook.com slash cagesideradio and click on the videos tab. You can see his matches with David Porter, Cody Malte, and Daniel Frank. And do support him in that super fight against Manchurkara in just a couple weeks. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Speaking of super fights, we're going to go out of the area. Juni Ocasio is no stranger to super fights, and if you know him, you know he'll compete anytime under any rule set, gi or no gi. The Unity Jiu-Jitsu Purple Belt is one of our favorite guests and one of the top competitors out there. And as you'll hear, you're unlikely to hear him anywhere else. So Juni talked to Lourdes about his recent experience at the New York Open, about his upcoming super fights, about why he's focusing on no gi now, and most importantly, his favorite fat boy meal when he's not training and competing hard, although he's always training and competing hard. Here's the next. Uh, here's our next chat with Juni Ocasio. This is Lourdes with Dirty White Belt Radio, and I'm speaking with Juni Ocasio at Unity um, Jiu-Jitsu. Hi, Juni. Hi. How you doing, guys? So, Juni, tell us about. Um, I know that you competed this weekend at the New York Open, the New York Summer Open. Tell me how you did. I, tell our fans like what you like what the results were. Uh, this weekend, I competed in the Life Feather Purple Nogi with my teammate, and I think there was two other guys in the bracket. So, uh, yeah, everything went pretty better than I can expect it. I mean, I executed a sweep, a pass, a mount, finish within like a minute and 25 seconds. So, yeah, it was very, it was very, uh, it was satisfying, but also I wish I had more mat time. I wish I would have went a little tougher, but it, it was good. Um, everything I trained for just came out together and just executed perfectly. My teammate won his fight, and then we closed out together. Yeah. So you competed on Saturday and Sunday. You played in... No, I didn't. I uh, competed just on uh, the no gi. I didn't compete the Saturday. I didn't do the gi. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing a little, like, I think just the Boston Open, maybe like one of the gi uh, competition. Other than that, I'm really focused on uh, just no gi, you know, all styles of no gi, ADCC, IBJF, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to probably stick to more no gi. So is that your your plan probably for the next year or so, or like for a foreseeable future? Just... Just uh, probably just probably the rest of the season to the end of the year, and then I, I always switch back and forth. So if something comes along and it sounds good, super fight or something I get paid for, or, or competition that I'm motivated to win, then I'll just go to the gi, no problem. But you know, usually I concentrate. Like the first half was gi, and I did a little bit of no gi here and there. Um, and then now it's the opposite. Now it's now it's a lot of no gi, and then just like a day or two of gi. Um, 
once you've done something like six months in a row, like the whole time, like you, you can pretty much just jump in and out of it. I'm just concentrating more on uh, the Nogi, IBJJF titles, and super fights and uh, sub only stuff, you know, stuff like that. So, what have you been doing since the last time we, we talked to you? I think we spoke to you last at the Toro Cup in, in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, you mentioned earlier that you had just started. You had you had you were doing no gi at that point already, and you had done a couple of like uh, light gi training in preparation for the um, the Toro Cup. So, but what what have you been doing since Toro Cup? Uh, I've been primarily training nonstop. I think right after Toro Cup, I had a super fight, a global grappling league against the. Uh, Brandon Lim, Brandon Lim, a tenth planet purple belt from the headquarters, mm-hmm. and uh, I was on the same card as uh, Nikki and Ethan, the one Nikki beat oh, Marvin nice. on. So, um, yeah, I, I got that one, and I got the finish at like the eight minute mark, and went good. And then, uh, what else? Then, yeah, then I did uh, just the New York Open. Then I'll be doing a sub only this weekend at the Good Fight, mm-hmm. and then I'll take like a small break. Then I'll probably have another super fight. And then I have a seminar coming up in New Hampshire. And so I got pretty much a super fight, competition, super fight. You know, very picky about what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so that takes you through the summer? Yeah, yeah. It should take me through the summer because then that will lead into the Nogi Pants and then Nogi Worlds. So it's, it's at this point, it's just the stuff that, that, I, feel, that I feel motivated to compete in. Okay. I'm not going to do a bunch of Nagas. Mm-hmm. Maybe one through the year to stay loose. Um, I'll be doing a lot, a lot of super fights and mm-hmm. a lot of sub only nogi stuff to mm-hmm. sh- show some of the stuff I've been working on. Okay. Excuse me, I just finished pro training, so my throat's a little messy. And so, speaking of pro training, so we we just finished the pro training class, and tell me how the pro training classes at Unity have helped you prepare you for y- your competition and the competition style that you you execute. Oh, it's exactly what I need: uh, discomfort, <laughs> uh, a lot of technique, a lot of hard rolls trapped in the room with like uh, world-class competitors uh, just prepared me pretty much to go out there and do and compete to the best of my ability and, and not I'm not gonna see anything new like I com- everybody has a different style and it's really good for my style here to be here like just the training session the rough training like I said discomfort so when I go out there I'm just like I'm amped up and I'm ready to go it's like my reward to go compete mm-hmm. after training so hard um but yeah, I love pro training. I love the way Unity runs stuff. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm ready to go. I'm really motivated this year. I'm probably the best I've ever been, and I'm just really excited to go out there and show some of the stuff I've been working on that people I haven't even seen. So what was some, what's something that you've been working on that you were able to execute at the, um, at the Nogi New York Open on Sunday? Um, you know, the Nogi New York Open, it just, it went so perfect. I mean, just better passing, better sweep. Um, executing it and chaining it very well um, but that one just happens to just fall into my A game like I just kind of like cruised it and mm-hmm. you know they, you can't play with certain leg locks and stuff like that which is a lot of the stuff I've been working on mm-hmm. um, nobody I think I have a really underrated game for that mm-hmm. uh, but I'm very excited to go out there and in uh, some of these super fights and some of these uh, you know uh, sub only to really showcase you know my overall versatile game which I, I think I am very well rounded like I mm-hmm. pressure pass I can sweep like play any rule set and uh, I'm much better with uh, foot play and leg locks than people think I am mm-hmm. yeah, hence why I can probably shut it down and it looks like I'm not playing hip hooks but 
I intend to, but then I just kind of go to shut it down and just go to my regular game, you know? So it just, it, it'd be nice to go out there and really showcase some other stuff that people don't know my style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more of that since it sounds like you're going to be doing a lot of um, no-gi competing. Hopefully some your some of your other um, talents will be showcased then. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be showcased. Uh, a couple tournaments coming up, a uh, good fight this weekend. Should be fun, sub only. Hopefully it's like a final, no time limit, and it should be should be very, very fun. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I'm more motivated now than ever. Um, hopefully Toro Cup brings me back. I think Bagels Bagels is definitely down to get me back there. I just need somebody to get me down there, and I, uh, I will totally compete Nogi and, and get to showcase you know, some stuff that I've been working. Um, I, I still didn't think I showcased, the, my, I showcased my grittiness in the last one over there, um, but you know, I didn't think I showcased my true, true ability in that mm-hmm. match. Um, but yeah, it, it would be fun to go back there and, and do that and see Jeff and everybody. And uh, then uh, from there, just super fight and whatever comes the way, whatever sounds good that I can make off of, make a good name off of, mm-hmm. yeah. get some of the spotlight that I'm not getting. So I heard you earlier. You said that you, that Evan Arredondo, who you fought in the um, in the Toro Cup, he was here and yeah. he was he trained at Unity. And then you also just mentioned that you um, you were at another super fight with Nikki and Ethan. Ethan. And um, so tell me, when you do you guys ever see each other outside of jujitsu? Do you guys ever or do you ever train together outside of your own, your uh, respective schools? Fortunately, we don't. Um, I'm very antisocial, believe it or not. Um, I just literally. I'm, I'm one of those people that are really just sleep, train, you know, eat, work. I, I don't really do anything else. I, I don't have that much of a social life. Um, the goals I have just, they're too high, so I can't really afford to, like, go to the side and go party or do anything like that. But uh, I, I'm frequently on the same cards as them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small world. We were both from the East Coast. I mean, our schools aren't that far apart. Um, they're very good guys, too. I like them, you know, um, so... We always compete in the same cards, and when we're around, like, I'll, you know, like, I'll roll, roll. Mm-hmm. you know, like, when I was up there before we fought in the Toro Cup, the day before, we were rolling, you know, uh, no problem, yeah, that's great, great rolls. Um, other than training together, I think, you know, we always have our own secrets that we have to keep away for competition, but, you know, but when we're around, it's fine, no problem, we're not competing, it's a very friendly hunt, yeah. So what I think is interesting is that you mentioned that you're a little bit antisocial, and I feel like a lot of jujiteros that um, that train a lot, we all kind of have a little bit of that antisocial. Maybe because we're always in the gym training, or you know, we're we're watching what we eat, especially if you're competing. It's, it's tournament season, so um, I'm interested in hearing what your what what um, Junie Ocasio's fat boy. I'm not training anymore today. <laughs> I just finished a tournament. What's my what's your what's your fat boy day look like? Uh, so. I train every day, so that that goes without saying. Um, I do. I am definitely a fat boy with food. I'm, I'm super. I, I'm like the lightest guy in my weight class. But when it comes to like after a tournament, I'm I'm gonna eat. That's like the one thing I give myself. Right. So I eat like yesterday. I think after the New York Open, I think I ate like half pie pizza or something. But then I immediately feel guilty, and then I'm like, <laughs> all right, I gotta. I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta train right tomorrow and like get on it. Um, I try not to do too much of that because I train so much every day and it's so draining that it affects you when you compete. But you know, after a tournament, it's always okay to get. That's the one thing I'll give myself. I'll give myself a little treat. I have a cheat meal once a week, and just you know go all out. Um, but um, you know, 
as soon as I eat it, it's so good, and then all of a sudden it's like, nah, you shouldn't have done that, you know. You, you, you started to regret back. it. You What's your that. favorite cheat meal? Um, I'd say probably uh, w- uh, wings, a burger, or on- onion loaf, which is just like fried onions. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, those, those are my thing. But once I eat that, it's like I'm not training after I eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wait the next day or something, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely fat boy. I mean, I love to munch. Uh, even when eating clean, I still have like very healthy stuff that I munch on through the night. Like I binge mm-hmm. eat through the night. So I'll wake up and I'm gonna eat yogurt. I'm gonna eat like Jello. I'm gonna, you mm-hmm. know, I have my little things or ices and stuff like that that I keep myself sane while mm-hmm. I'm like, training very hard. That way, if I overeat, it's not a big deal. It's just gonna come right off. You know? Right. It's nothing heavy or anything like that. Right. So pie or or cake? Oh man, uh, I probably. It depends. Like, if we're talking pumpkin pie, then yeah, pumpkin pie or cheesecake, pu- pu- pumpkin pie, um, but no, not that much cake, no. Okay. Not a cake person. I'd eat some ice cream, though. Yeah, okay. not some, I usually like Halo Tops. Yeah, I'm still thinking healthy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, when you, like, when you went to Durham, North Carolina, did you do anything outside of the gym? Did they, did know. you go eat barbecue? Did you do anything you kind know, of fun? No, at first, because I was going to weigh in. Mm-hmm. And then we were the only super fight that was going to weigh in. And then Evan's still a bigger guy than me. Like, you could make a weight, and he's still going to be a bigger dude for me. I mean, you go look at the pictures with me and Evan, and you could see we're ideally two weight classes apart. Um, but as soon as I was like, uh, forget the weigh in, I don't care, just let him eat whatever he wants. And mm-hmm. I went out, and I think I had like a small burger or something. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy. Not when I fight. I like to fight on a light stomach so that yeah. I can just fight to the best of my ability I've had in the past where I've fought after eating something bad and it's just I won but it was I didn't feel good <laughs> no I'd rather keep it simple and then afterwards you can eat what we want you know um, but yeah man I, I like healthy snacks I'll indulge all day shakes you know ices ice cream stuff like that yeah. I'm definitely a fat boy inside <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Junie, for giving us um, this interview today and for talking to us at Dirty White Belt Radio. Is there anything you want to say before we go? Dirty White Belt gets the exclusive interviews with Junie, I guess, because they're awesome. Best of luck to Junie and his upcoming events. Uh, we, we, while we're talking about IBJF, JJF competitions and super fights, we also want to congratulate uh, Black Belt Adam Jetton from Evolution on his bronze medal at the Boston Open this weekend. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. It's always a huge pleasure to have my friend David Porter back in the studio. And Dave was down for U.S. Grappling yesterday. We're going to talk about some of the matches he had. And he also does the David Porter No-Gi Workshop today at Elevate MMA and will be in residence at Elevate for the rest of this week. So welcome back to the studio, Dave. I just love being in my home away from home. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, the Triangle loves them some Dave Porter. I think I speak for all of us when I say that. And so let's, get re- let's actually start by talking about your teaching at Elevate. And so you're giving a workshop, but you're also going to be kind of in residence teaching classes for the rest of the week. So I'm curious about how that came to be and how that differs from a standard one-off where you go down, teach a seminar, and peace out. So I knew I was going to have this block of time in the summer where I could either stay at home and just do my regular routine or, you know, take some time off from my regular, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, early AM class, Tuesday, Thursday, midday class grind, where those are the the classes I teach 
at the Pedro Sauer headquarters and then I go in at night and I train. I was like, okay, well, I'll just get coverage for my classes. I'll come down here for a week, have some fun. And who's the first person I want to contact for that? Cody. Like Cody Malte is probably my my favorite human being for promoting outside of his academy, like getting talent in. So, you know, and it's not just Robert Drysdale. And I know he's super loyal to Robert Drysdale, but I mean, he's had CJ, he's had myself, he's had uh, a who's who's list of people coming in all the time. Who did he just have in last week? Rene Lopez. Exactly. So it's like that Moises Antonio or yeah, Moises Antonio Lopez, the honey badger. Yeah. Cody doesn't mess around when it concerns like getting people that are skilled in areas that might be specialists in that area that he himself wants to get a piece of the action, right? So there's there's a level, level of greediness in there too, which we all appreciate, but he does it for his students. And so when I was thinking, man, I would love to come down and train, but you know, who's who's open-minded enough to pull me in for an extended stay? Ah, well, I'll probably just talk to Cody. And like before I could even finish like the first message, he's like, oh dude, you gotta have this happen. So we planned it out and he does amazing marketing and his graphics are sick for all of his events. And uh, immediately I was just in love with the whole concept. And we came together with a list of what we're going to do and which classes I'm going to teach. And believe it or not, I'm actually coming out of retirement for my short shorts and I'm going to be teaching some Muay Thai and that's going to be awesome. Cause I'll, I'll actually be using the pow foot for a change. And a lot of people like I talked to uh, Ashley McClellan last night at Gita uh, Gita's party. And she had no idea I did Muay Thai for like almost two and a half decades. So it's going to be fun. And I'm hoping to see some people that are going to be pleasantly surprised by the fact that I'm even teaching that class. I'm just excited for the short shorts personally. Uh, but So what can folks expect uh, from the jiu-jitsu classes, both from the workshop today? And like one of the things that I'm curious about is, do you have a thing in mind where you have like, okay, the Nogi workshop is going to set in motion a curriculum and then we're going to expand on that curriculum throughout the week? Or is it more of an a la carte and I'm going to teach what I feel like teaching, teach what people want to see sort of thing? Like how do you plan, that, plan out something like that? Neither. <laughs> so the workshop today is independent of the course load I have already written down for the rest of this week. So what people can expect from the Nogi workshop today is kind of like a signature of my half guard retention to full guard attack series. And that's what today will encompass. Then the rest of this week is um, going to be focusing on what I like to call the bite. And it's going to be across all the different classes. So you're going to see how I implement this one concept in both MMA, Muay Thai, and Jiu-Jitsu. And it's how we can engage in somebody after that space has been taken away and maintain that. And that's one of the big things I hit on two weeks ago when I was at Chaz Valentine's School uh, in Richlands at Kinematic Martial Arts. And it was funny. Like I just taught a guillotine choke, a straight ankle lock, a rear naked choke, and an arm bar. When you think about it, Within the, the confines of what those things are, you know, a basic arm lock, you think arm bar, right? A basic foot lock, the straight ankle, the guillotine choke and the renegade choke from, you know, both sides of the equation, whether you're facing or behind the person. Four basic moves, three hours, and I had a black belt in attendance, a few brown belts, and all of them took something away from it. I teach advanced basics. Like, that's what I do. <laughs> um, this today is kind of a little behind the scenes of, my methodology and why I do what I do when I'm in that position and how I can make it work for the half guard. The rest of the week is on 
this overarching concept that just applies to more aspects of my game, not just one part like the guard. So you teach advanced basics, and you do a terrific job when you're competing of implementing those advanced basics. And you had several matches in the Black Belt Division at U.S. Grappling yesterday. And so since that's the event of the of the week, why don't we talk about that? How, what were your memories of your matches? Uh, how did those go for you yesterday? My favorite thing at any event is when I get a match with somebody I've never competed against. And Terrence Swanson, never competed against him before. Uh, and I had my first ever match with Josh Murdoch. And those were both very exciting matches. Um the match with Josh went a little faster than I would have liked because I wanted to really feel his game, but I saw an opening and I uh, took it. And, you know, sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. Uh, Taryn, very, very powerful kid. And I say kid loosely. I mean, he's 23 years old and I'm jealous that he's a black belt. But, you know, that's also reminding me of when I was 32 grappling a 20 year old Gordon Ryan. You know, it's like one of these things I, I can't help when I started. I'm just happy I did. But, you know, Taryn came at me hard and fast. And it was, uh, it, it, to an outsider looking in, it might have looked a little non, non-exciting. But it, to me, there was a lot of intricate stuff going on that you might not have been able to catch from the angle because I had an overhook lapel feed and he's fighting that grip with body positioning. And there's a lot of great hand fighting. Eventually, I go for a triangle that fails and we go back to guard retention. And in the course of it, I sing it a Bravo choke that I'm kind of synonymous for, you know, off of their guard pass. So that was an exciting way to start the day. But I don't like to be uh, a repeat offender. So I try to mix up my own game to challenge myself. Therefore, when I had the match with Cody, you know, I didn't even shoot one. Um, in fact, the match with Cody was my favorite match of the day. I'm just going to come out and say that because of all my matches, he's the one who put me in danger the most. Mm-hmm. You know, three very, very valid threats. And in the past three and a half years, all of the losses I've sustained by submission have been from my back. Whether it was at uh, Toro Cup 3 when I uh, got my back taken, of course, and lost there. Um, all of my super fights with Gordon Ryan have been from my back. Even my match with uh, Taza, you know, he took my back. And it's, it's funny how it just keeps coming up. It's my weakest position. I know that, and it's a deficiency in my game. So I've been working very, very hard to correct that deficiency and spending an exorbitant amount of money with Master Shower to <laughs> fix that. And uh, it's worth it because as, I, as I'm starting to lose my mind and my cool and all the composure is about to go out the window, I start to go, okay. I can do this. And I, I made one critical adjustment and I'm back in the fight only to get put into uh, a, a Kimura. And it's like, oh man, does it ever stop? And that was that was exciting and it was fun. And uh, I think the unknown thing in that match that was even more funny for me is like, I love Dan Zanlin. Guy is just a wholesome human being. And I remember when he was kicking my butt as a blue belt and I was like a fake purple belt, fake purple belt, as I like to call it. Like I wore a purple belt, but I was not really a good purple belt. Mm-hmm. And Dan would like beat me up at Jerry Moreno's Academy when I go there. And he's refing now and he's refing the black belt division. And I know he just hurt his knee. Otherwise he would have been in it. But, you know, I still, even though he's my friend and Cody's my friend, I still want to make sure that the level of professionalism stays high at a U.S. grappling event. So I'm not going to mess around more than I already do. <laughs> so when I'm like setting up what we call the harpoon reversal from cross side bottom, uh, you get someone's head lower than their hips and you bridge over with your frames and it reverses the position. Well, 
you know, Dan's doing a great job supervising where the action is, but he's also in the way of where I need to be when I execute this move. So I'm trying to give him the, the courtesy of not talking to the ref, but I'm trying to give him the eye signal, like, move, move, move. And then eventually, like, I just gesture with my thumb, like, go that way. So you can see it in the match, Dan, like, circles around, and then I finally hit the move, and then, like, that turns the tide, and now it's like, I could finally be on the attack. And, um... It went my way this this time, but whatever. Like, I lose. I lose too. It's it's not a big deal. It was just my favorite match of the day because, man, if it was not like said a million times before, I respect anybody who can not only just bring the fight to me, but really test me in the areas where I have these deficiencies. And that was great. Overall, the whole event was amazing. And I just also want to give one more shout out, uh, Dan Dan Frank. Dan Frank is amazing, and I've been a fan of his since my very first U.S. grappling event, December of 2010. And when I watched him compete then, I was like, man, this is what I got to look forward to. Like, these guys, this level of talent. And, you know, subsequently in the last year since picking up Black Belt, because he is the gamiest of game Black Belts for U.S. grappling, he'll always be competing. And I know because he'll do Black Belt weight and Black Belt uh, absolute, I'm going to get matches with Dan Frank. So we've had a bunch. I've been fortunate enough to hit my signature move a few different times on him. And every single time it gets harder. Absolutely, it gets harder. And this is where I want to give that shout out. Because yesterday, I thought I had one dead to rights. And he shut it down so hard. And it's like, man, this is what it's about. Like the, the, the growth. That development of understanding. And I know he knows the move. But I do it a little different. And... You know, I might be more dynamic or my grips or whatever, but he's figuring it out. And so, man, I had to totally switch my game up mid-match. And I'm like, well, damn. So, you know, kudos to him. And um, like I said, it went my way this time. But, man, I, I know I'm going to get my butt kicked by all of these guys. It's going to happen. Like, th- we're all talented. We all know the work we, we put in. And some days it's not your day. And I just got fortunate today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to defend yourself against four high-level black belt competitors, but it's totally a different thing to defend yourself against 30,000 Pokemon Go nerds. And I understand you recently had an experience in Chicago that I would like to hear about, and I'm sure Jeremy Orell, if he's listening, would like to hear about. First, let me say this. I love you and Jeremy Orell. The three of us combined would have zero impact on the amount of nerd rage that was rampant in Chicago weekend uh, before this. So my, my brother Dan Godimer treats me to an early birthday present and we go to Chicago and it was a great trip to start but the weather was not the best to start the day so you have torrential downpour in the morning when the lines were supposed to be queuing up you have a trouble with security checks and making sure that people can't get into the park and now you figure if you know you're in an outdoor event and it might rain one of those items you should allow people to have would be like an umbrella, but it was a banned item on the list, and I get it. Maybe the, you're afraid that these cosplayers might use it as a sword or something, but you don't let these poke nerds use an umbrella, and they're getting rained on in line. Then they have to get inside, and now the sun finally comes out, and now the humidity is terrible, and the ground is muddy, and they just didn't think out logistics well enough, so their servers were getting bombarded with all this traffic you have the area of grant park only able to sustain about fifteen thousand people well there were so many counterfeit bands you had another five thousand people there 
Then you add another 10,000 people that just from the surrounding greater Chicago area want to come and be a part of this event, and they want to get as close to the park as humanly possible, aka the fences and such. So now they're all choking up the ISP, and nobody can get onto the game. So when you have 30,000 frustrated nerds, right, and I mean— that's how it, nuclear wars start. It, oh my goodness! Like, I, I think when they talk about the crime in Chicago, they meant Pokefest. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I didn't see any shootings. Like, but at Pokefest, I did see like people burning pizza boxes, people kicking over the porta potties, people kicking over fences. Well, first off, let me go back. Nobody was in the porta potty when it was kicked over, so that's a good thing. But it was ridiculous the level of nerd rage and. Luckily, my brother and I were very fortunate to just like pop a squat in this park in this park bench near the line. We never actually stood in the line, and some hours go by, and then we finally decided to just go out have a long lunch. When we come back, there was no line. Like hours later, and we're like, "What is this?" So we walk straight into GoFest, and there's a line inside getting out. People wanted to leave that badly because they were so frustrated they couldn't play their game, and. Um, you know, you have people chanting at the CEO of Niantic, the company that owns it, saying, we can't play, we can't play. One guy threw his band at the CEO's face and people were throwing water bottles on stage and it was madness. And like I said, you know, Jeremy, myself and you, we, we would we would just get steamrolled by 30,000 people. No, no. And the weight class, I mean, we're, we're like 500 pounds between us, but like 30,000 nerds, man, that's a lot of nerd tonnage to deal with. I mean, that's an absolute division that I don't want any part of. One thing I want to make sure to ask about, and you, ha- you had something that you were going to tell me that you hadn't told me before, but one, I-, I want to ask about the photo that you regret not taking, and oh. the, the image that sort of sums up Pokemon oh. Go Fest for you. So for those of you listening to the show that might also play this, this awesome augmented reality game on your phone, you need to understand, it, it is a grind. The entire game, every level takes much longer time to acquire and so the game came out july 7th of the year prior and so at this go fest it was just over a year into the game and there are only a handful of people in the world barring some kind of cheat code of some kind that have gotten to the level cap of 40 one such player who was very very frustrated sums up everything just because of the the environment and the mud on the ground and the the animosity all around, and in the middle of this crowd, she finally logs into her game. And there's this concept behind the geolocating on your phone not syncing right. And because they don't want people to cheat their way into GoFest from outside of that region, they had a lot of software in place to catch all these cheaters. That It's called spoofing. So because of this anti-spoofing software being in place, when her phone finally did log her into the game, her avatar in-game came from so far away to that zone that she got caught by this anti-spoofing software and account banned at level 40. So to think about it, you spent, and probably hard-earned cash, not just Pokecoins, you know, people will spend hard money in the iTunes store on this game or whatever device. Hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to travel to Chicago, waiting in line, dealing with all these frustrations, seeing all this rioting taking place, and you finally get into this game. And remember, it's a game. Games are meant to be enjoyed. You're not enjoying your day at all. And the sum- the, the summary of this whole year's worth of work, only to get your account banned right there. She falls down, muscles weak, fatigue, into a puddle of mud that goes up to her hips and throws her phone into a puddle. <laughs> 
It's funny. That it's not is me. that encompasses Pokemon Go Fest for me. Like it encapsulates rather the whole experience in one solid three seconds of time. So, did you have any fun at Pokemon Go Fest whatsoever? After the fest ended at 7 o'clock, the real madness ensued. So then legendary raids became a thing. And for those of you that listen to the show and know what I'm talking about, you've already experienced this over the last week. But now imagine they expanded the bubble, this sphere of influence for this Pokemon Go Fest from just Grant Park to a two-mile radius outside of Grant Park through greater Chicago downtown. Now, here's the problem we have. The game starts up a load screen that says, be aware of your surroundings. And now you just told 30,000 people to go out into a metropolitan area with heavy traffic volume on a Saturday night. So I saw lots of ambulances getting called because nerds are walking out into traffic. I saw um, people falling downstairs. I saw people tripping over sidewalks. And the amount of uncoordination was just impressive on a, on a level I've never seen before. And that's something that I would, hadn't mentioned to you prior, you know. And I feel really bad for those unfortunate people that were not very cognizant of their of their you know in app play style versus you know their awareness of their surroundings. So their situational awareness being low, and then you know the risk of injury was so high if if you were one of those people. So I, I hope no one got severely injured, but I do know that a a bunch of people were walking into traffic, <laughs> walking downstairs, falling downstairs walking into guardrails, falling over curbs, knocking over trash cans. And the poor city of Chicago that had to endure this, um, yeah, they'll probably never do it again. But and, and even if they did, I wouldn't go. But I had a blast running around throughout the rest of that night, back and forth between the airport and then finding out my flight was delayed and everything else. But I had a blast in Chicago because then you can actually play this this game and then the real experience of the camaraderie of people working together and what the fest should have been took place outside of the confines of Grant Park and outside of that time frame of 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. It was all 7.30 p.m. to like 4 in the morning, and it was amazing. And I hung out with my friend Jason Vang, who is a guy who I literally met through playing this game, who's a level 40, and he's amazing. And uh, he got me a a golden Magikarp plush animal knowing it was my birthday weekend. So shows up to GoFest with a with a birthday present for me and we spent the rest of the night like crushing all these raids and that was the real fun experience but man oh man if it wasn't like a complete and utter show the whole day with different kinds of debacle after spectacle after this after that oh my goodness it sounds like it tested all three of your warrior virtues the fudoshin the zanshin and the mushin the empty mind the situational awareness the distance management all your self-defense training really on display here at pokemon go fest I just tried to maintain at least two arms distance from any other human who wasn't with my immediate group, like my, my brother Dan, um, Jason, and our friends that we made that day, just so that I wouldn't have to defend you know, my own. Uh, it's a numbers game, right? It's like, I really don't want get to get into a war with China, even if they're all armed with wooden sticks. They're still two billion. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that, that's a numbers game we can't afford to play. Yeah, it's like do do you want to fight a thousand duck sized nerds or a thousand like psyduck sized uh some uh you know nerd sized ducks? I mean, depending on how big the nerd is, I guess. So new twist on the old question. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, neither. Yeah, no. Just don't right. fight. 
Peace, peace and love, everybody. Anything? Well, Dave, it's always a pleasure having you on the show to talk about jujitsu, and it's an even greater pleasure talking about <laughs> nerdy Pokemon games. And uh, but, and sometime we'll have to get you, me, Jeremy Orell, and uh, and maybe James Quigg in a room and talk about nerd games. But anything to add before we go off into the night to totally not raid Pokemon gyms? Yeah, just remember that even in um, even in the Art of War, when it was mentioning the eight divergent pathways, only one of those eight options led to actual conflict. Something to think about. Just go back, peruse the book, Art of War. Remember, when he's talking about his, the eight divergent pathways, only when you're absolutely cornered and you have no other option is the fight absolutely necessary. So I didn't have to fight any, uh, any, any nerd rage. I, I, I myself did not fall victim to it. My, my constitution withheld and I was able to keep my cool in a terrible situation and was able to laugh it off with my brother. And uh, we ended up having a great night. We salvaged it. And nobody had to get into a fight. Well, we started with some frivolous conversations about a game and ended with some actually deep moral lessons that, that are words to live by. So you can see why you should go to Elevate MMA this week, maybe even this afternoon if you're listening live, and learn from Dave Porter at the Nogi Workshop. Turn and train with him uh, at Elevate during throughout the week. He's here through Friday. And it's always a pleasure having you in the studio. I'll be in the mornings at Jeff Shaw's class. Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, 6.30 a.m. All your early rises out there, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Me and Dave Porter come and, come and check out some, uh, uh, pr- some semi-private lessons lessons on jujitsu and pokemon so thanks again dave my pleasure thank you jeff next week in studio our, our good buddy dewan owens uh, prominent mma fighter blue belt in jujitsu beast submission grappler and general uh, raconteur man about town and incredible human being is back from uganda he's traveling back as we speak and so we're going to get him in studio next week to talk about his most recent trip to uganda where he does self-defense seminars where he does mma seminars where he does all kinds of stuff uh with positive uh positively influencing the youth as he does here he does in uganda so we're really excited to talk to dewan again um our 100th show is coming up, and we have a really exciting surprise for you, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you for listening. It's another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. The co-hosts of the show are Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu. I want to, as always, thank our Patreon supporters, Betty Broadhurst, uh, Carl Krebs, uh, Cody Malte, uh, Chris Holmes as well, and you know everybody who contributes at, at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. I really appreciate the support. So you can join and support the show for as little as a dollar a month, and we appreciate it. It'll be we'll be back at you next Sunday with an exciting episode with Dewan Owens. So take care, everybody. Dirty white belt.